This is the Pain Information Network. Walking in Memphis. Oh, I hate to leave Memphis. Saw so many great people there, some really fun people. Got to hang with so many intellectuals and just fun folks. They they really understand pain. They understand taking care of patients. These people are committed, dedicated people. You'll hear from them, and they are just the best of the best. So I saw Dr. Lance in the airport, and I had to run him down. He was a army doc, and he served a couple tours in Iraq, and we thank him for his service. But he's also a tremendous pain doctor. He's got fantastic hands. I saw him in the lab. And the important thing about this for those out there, the vets and all, is he has taken his career to you and his skills to you. And we got to thank him for that. So I'm going to let you listen to him a little bit. It's, it's just the best to listen to the best. He is a guy that's going to be sitting in front of General Petraeus soon and other incredible dignitaries in Washington, D.C., because this is uh, the type of folks that are our leaders, and he is a individual who will be a, a future leader in the field of medicine and anything he does, I'm sure. So I got to take him and corner him in the airport, and we had a good talk. And so I'm just going to pass that on to you, and I, I just hope you love listening to him. He's a uh, probably one of those folks we all want to meet. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, this is uh, Hans Hansen, and I'm sitting in the Memphis airport. But I got to run him down where I can find him. And, and this is a great guy, uh, Dr. George Lance. Uh, he's in uh, New Hampshire, Stones Throw for Maine, um, and he has an extensive military history that uh, lends a, a lot uh, to his credentials, his commitment to patients, his uh, you know his entire background. And it, it's interesting to listen to that. We'll talk about that in a second, but. Uh, how you doing, George? I'm doing great. Uh, right, thanks cool. very much for uh, taking some time to talk to me today, Hans. Oh, absolutely. Tell me a little bit about your background. Well, um, my background's, uh, as you had mentioned, a little bit uh, diverse. Uh, I, uh, I'm a board-certified anesthesiologist and pain medicine physician, uh, fellowship-trained, and as you mentioned, practice in New Hampshire. Um, you also mentioned I, I have a military background, so I, I did... Uh, my residency uh, civilian side and then uh, ended up going back into the military uh, and did a call deployments over in Afghanistan. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for your service. And let me tell you, this guy is a leader. Where are you headed next? Some conference, huh? Uh, yeah, I'm actually uh, headed out to uh, a conference in D.C. It's called the uh, U.S. Global Leadership Coalition, uh, and I'm a member through branch of uh, Veterans for Smart Power. Yeah, somebody's going to be talking to you at that. Who that? Who might that be? Well, one of our speakers that's going to be there is uh, General Petraeus. Yeah, this is a prestigious position, and it just lends more to the fact that uh, uh, this specialty is not only diverse but has a, a tremendous uh, foundation of not only intellect but uh, commitment to you, the patient, uh, you, the individual out there, but most importantly, to excellence. All right, let's 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 talk about a few things uh, today. Yeah, we 
just came from the American Society of Interventional Pain Physicians uh, meeting in uh, Memphis where it was a didactic meeting, uh, controlled substance management. There was practice management, which we all have to learn about practice management. You sat in on that. It's pretty pretty amazing, the regulations. Yeah, it was. It's just terrifying, isn't it? <laughs> it, was, it was pretty impressive, what they're giving us. Oh, yeah. The bar is getting higher and higher. Actually, it's getting kind of ridiculous. Um, but, you know, we've got to follow the rules, and we do so, and we stay educated to those rules because they're dynamic and change uh, ever faster and faster. And I've interviewed Marvel Hammer, and she was there uh, leading the way with uh, Vicki Mykowiak and Judy Holmes. So you sat in on one of those, and basically it comes down to uh, compliance. You're kind of a man of excellence, and you follow the rules. We have to follow rules. What do you know about compliance in your practice? Well, that's kind of has to be and is and uh, always will be the kind of the cornerstone of the practice. So uh, it's a it's a moving target though because as the rules change, you got to anticipate and try and stay ahead, which is which is always a challenge. So you 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 have to educate yourself, educate your patients, educate your staff on uh, upcoming events, and try and stay current. So I think it's uh, it's necessary to uh, attend meetings, uh, support your society, whichever one that may be. Uh, my choice is ASIP, um, and I would encourage anybody who can be a member of it to join. Um, it's amazing people there. I've learned a lot. Um, you know, they touched on a number of things and practice management. Um, I additionally have an MBA, so that lends itself to help, but you still need things beyond that because um, there is no MBA just in... Uh, pain medicine yeah mba you know that's an amazing set of credentials here you go not only uh med school internship residency and then a fellowship a fellowship is a year and you're taking test 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 and then you also have a master's of business administration what's it in uh, I did finance, international business, and health administration. Well, that didn't hurt a bit, did it? Then you're, there's your military service, and then you go out and you uh, start uh, a private practice. Tell me a little bit about your practice. Well, the, the group that I'm with, it's called Interventional Spine Medicine. It's, uh, it's a very diverse group of, of people. We have uh, four providers, and we have a number of uh, mid-levels as well. Um, we're s- scattered around the uh, seacoast area of New Hampshire and touching the border of Massachusetts. So we're seven, four different locations, and uh, also up in uh, the Lake Winnipesaukee area as well. So we, we, we try and reach as many people as we can, even though we're a small state, and we get people coming from Massachusetts as well as Maine. Um, and there's still a number of areas, even though it's, you know, uh, a, a fantastic state with some uh, great credentials in terms of the people. Um, it, it's still it's hard to reach um, the whole state. And uh, the one thing that you really always want to keep track of, specifically in our specialty, is, you know, quality care. And, you know, our specialty is uh, constantly, um, I feel like, under a barrage from uh, perception. But in the end, you know, when, when somebody can't get a hip replaced, can't get a knee replaced, is on blood thinner, won't have, can't have surgery, um, they need to have something to help them along. So uh, sometimes pain medicine is uh, the last resort, but it's something that sometimes we need to uh, we u- need to utilize. But with that use, we have to be very safe uh, for the patient, uh, for the community, for their family, uh, educate them and, and uh, the people around us. Because um, some of the medicine we use, I mean, that's not all we do. We do lots of interventional techniques. But specifically, that being such a hot topic generally, um, 
it's something that takes a lot of education. One of the reasons beyond my, um, you know, my fellowship and my residency um, in anesthesia where we use pain medication all the time, you know, I, I attended the, the ACIP course and, you know, you need to stay on the pulse all the time because it's changing. So it's um, even with my background, you need to stay current. So that's one of the things that people not in the specialty still need to understand. So uh, the people that we need to reach out to a lot of times are primary cares, mid-levels, even fellow physicians know very uh, little uh, about this especially that we have. Yeah. You know, I never realized how many public service announcements there are in an airport until you're trying to do a podcast. It's just incredible. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, but you're right. We want access to care. And we talk about that a lot. I don't think people uh, sometimes appreciate that access to care is just not there all the time and that's why we talk about it a lot you're in a rural area people think well i'll just go to a pain doctor there aren't a lot of us out there and at least really qualified uh, pain physicians and there you are in an area that is underserved and i'm sure people drive a long way to see you don't they yeah they we get some people to drive an hour and a half sometimes two hours uh it, it varies and you know it, it a lot of times people drive long distances because their their physician has just decided i 'm not going to write these medications at all anymore and and I think fear is one of the big things where that comes along as opposed to education or sometimes the practice just says we 're not going to write for these anymore um, and then patients are kind of stuck, yeah, especially if they have yeah. to travel long distances every four weeks and you know patients need to understand uh, and families need to understand because pain is a family problem that these drugs are getting tightened and fast. Um, you need to have this discussion with your family doctor or private practitioner or extender. Should I go to a pain physician or should I see someone like yourself? Because I'm not sure you're going to be able to write these medicines much longer. Do you see that? You know, I, I do see that either because of fear or uh, practice policy, a lot of times not deemed policy by the physicians because they're employees but by rather by their organization that they're a part of which i really find to be difficult if if the group says or the administrator says well we're not gonna write for these medications anymore and that's gonna be policy then physicians are to some extent get put up against the wall and um you know yeah yeah uh, held and trying to make well what do i do do i go against my administrator or do i end up um doing what i think i need to do for these patients because you know as you said these are very powerful medications and you know to say for someone who is a primary and and cares for these patients so deeply and sees them for so many different issues when they just when that topic comes up and someone in that runs the practice says we're not going to you can't do that one anymore then they have to send these patients out and, and might be a distance to a physician they don't know that well and and titles are titles but uh, you know when this is someone you really care for it's uh, it can be unsettling yeah it really is and i'm seeing it and that's a, a very sad thing when the patient physician relationship is uh, deemed uh, a bit rocky by uh, the feds or somebody close to the feds uh, like the cdc or something along these lines that you know they gave us guidelines they didn't give a standard of care but it's a wake-up call i hear the bell ringing you know okay so controlled substances are getting tighter and they're becoming uh, more scrutinized if you could tell your 
your patients or your soon-to-be patients a few things about controlled substances, what would you tell them? You know, we we do drug tests and we do pill counts. This is not punitive, is it? No, it's 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 really for safety uh, for a number of reasons. It's it's safety to a um, be safe for the patient themselves, safe for the family themselves, um, and to be safe for the practice. Um, when we do these things, we do these things out of necessity and not of, not often. Not not, not not no not punitive at all. But we, we do these things because you know it. Say for example, I have a patient who is that that might have a developing issue, and I don't do that. And I just say, oh, they're a nice person, and they they always come in and they smile and they're friendly and happy. And there's nothing that seems, um, you know, odd. Um, but if something goes awry in that in that situation and then something happens to me like a number of very fine physicians have somehow gotten into trouble um now if something happens to me then what happens to all the other patients that i take care of so it's not a it's not an individual uh punitive thing it's a safety measure so it's just like checking the system to make sure that there's no issues because if i can't provide for that one patient and something happens to that relationship where then my license gets lost or uh, or, or my or my or yeah. sanctions or my ability to practice now there's that trickles down to a number of other patients that say well now i got to find a new doctor right so we do these things for safety for the patient safety for family safety for the community and safety for just the practice of medicine um you know we we do interventional procedures and the goal for us is always to minimize the use of these medications um so you do interventional procedures for pain to mi- and and in those to minimize the exposure that someone may have to have to these medicines but if procedures don't always work or their their pathology is not such that it responds to the interventional option then we're to some extent we can't just let that patient suffer and we have to go down the road of pain medication you're right and once again you know it all boils down to access to care the um the things we like our patients to do is to have a plan. Of course, we've talked about the benchmarks. Where you at three, six, nine, and twelve months, and these medicines making a difference. It's just not a monthly prescription. But we also like to see them protect those medications because they are a high value item. They're like money. You can they can be distributed, and it might not be the patient. It might be a family member. Um, Lord knows, I had somebody uh, selling their house recently. And they were on a pretty stout dose of medications because they had a serious, serious problem, cancer, basically. And um, so they're selling their house to get their life in order. Guess what? People looking at the house raided them, um, stole all their medicines. We need lock boxes. And what else do you tell your patients to do with your medicines? Well, one of the things that um, started happening um, around uh, New England that was that was very unsettling was they would um, rob people as they came out of the out of the store so people knew well this person is on pain medication they're going in for the medication so as soon as they come out little white bag from the pharmacist they know there's something in there that they want and and they get robbed so you know things like this do happen out there so what i always tell people is you know the people that are your that are your family that are going to be that need to be aware you might want to let them know that you're that you're taking these medications, but beyond that, you, I wouldn't talk about them at all with anybody. Not because it's a an issue of you know that you'd be ashamed that you're taking them or something like that, but you really need to be careful who you talk 
talk to them about because yeah. Yeah, you know exactly right. because they might have somebody who isn't your friend and they made a comment and now somebody that isn't your friend knows and that person might you know next time they come over your house might go after those things so you just need to be very safe and think about it that's awesome i know you got to catch a plane do you have any closing thoughts or ideas about you know the, the safe and attentive way we take care of not only ourselves our practice to patients how they take care of their prescriptions or anything any closing thoughts well i think the one thing that's really needed is open lines of communication between the the patient the doctor which you always strive for but even on these issues it gets to be somewhat sensitive and sometimes people are afraid but i think what's important is to not think of when the word pain clinic comes up it doesn't always mean pills and that's really the opposite of what we're going after because the pain physician um, today, maybe not of the pain physician in the past, but the pain physician today is is trained in interventional procedures. So ideally, you'd want to go to someone who's educated in that. Now, th- there are plenty of good physicians out there that know how to use adjuvant medications that isn't just the uh, stereotypical quote-unquote opioid uh, for medication because there's lots of different types of pain. There's lots of different pain receptors, and they all respond differently. So if you're not making progress, um, you don't, you shouldn't be afraid to tell the physician, whoever that you're working with, you know, I don't think this is going the right way. Is there someone else you can maybe refer me to? And I commonly tell my patients if I'm, when we're making progress, say, you know, if this isn't going the right way, you need to tell me. Don't be afraid to tell me that things are changing. So I think open lines of communication between the patient and the doctor are paramount. Beyond that, I think reaching out to your local representatives um, to educate them, uh, whoever they may be, whether it's your local state rep, your state senator, your governor, if you have an option, anybody that, that you as a physician can um, have the ear of, of one of these people to educate them or say, how can I help you? You know, we need to be a part of the solution in, in this continuum of change because otherwise we're just going to be viewed as part of the problem. Exactly right. And so I would also say to patients and uh, advocates yeah. that they talk to the representatives. They listen and they need to understand we still need access to care. Please don't do what they did in Florida where the pendulum swung so hard. Even people that had surgery couldn't get pain medicine because they crashed down on them so hard. But, George, you know, thanks, and I really appreciate it. Great seeing you, and I, I'm going to see you again at a meeting real soon. And we'll get another podcast out again. Sounds great. Great. Take thanks, care. Hans. Bye-bye. Once again, Dr. Lance, thanks for your service. We hope you enjoyed paininformation.com and we're adding more content we're going to be doing webinars and the like bear with us we are in our second season and continuing to grow but i i need your help i need you to go to paininformation.com and tell me what you want to hear i have a lot of interviews coming up and some of the most uh, impassioned people in pain medicine are yet to be heard I really look forward to getting those out. And I'll do some Q&As. Please rank us at iTunes. It really helps us stay visible. People can find us. And I want to thank everybody that's done that. It's, uh, it's good to hear. It's just good for us all with paininformation.com to take a look and say, hey, you know what? We may be touching some folks. But anyway, you look at it. Thanks for coming. See you soon.